This podcast is brought to you by Midwinter, the cyberpunk fantasy graphic novel series from Revision Studios and Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, also by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash twoheadednerd today to find out how you can become a supporter. Hello, I'm Ryan Brown, uh, and you are watching the Two-Headed Nerd video podcast. Uh, I hope you love the way our hosts look as you look at their faces, and uh, thank you for endorsing our video podcast. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 482 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast, my name is Matt Baum, and I've had a lot of coffee, folks. Woo, baby. I'm the Internet's Joe Patrick. All I've had is some iced tea. Holy Together, Matt and I share one body and use our powers to discuss all things comic book related to give you, our loyal listeners, your own little comic shop talk you can carry with you in your hearts. Or at least on your phones. In and in e- your pants if your phone is in your pocket. <laughs> Fair enough. In this episode, Joe and I review Dark Knight's Metal, number six. Nope, 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 I know, nope. But that's what you told me we were doing, jackass. Shut and up. the latest return of Cyberforce, which is that what is I told you. That is also incorrect. I know. There'll be surprises later. Then we'll hack and slash our way through eight more short comic reviews during a ludicrous speed round. And after that, we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll discuss our must-read picks for next week and Finally, we're bringing on a surprise third head. I guess it's not that big of a surprise. It's Wooly Toots for some video game talk for a new segment we are calling Twiddling Our Thumbsticks. It's all happening in this death-defying issue. But first, we got to talk about this week's Nerd News! It's finally happening, Matt. The Fantastic Four are back. All right. Straight out of the negative zone desk. After several hours of teasing with a countdown featuring some of Marvel's most famous adjectives like uncanny, amazing, mighty, finally, the reveal happened. Fantastic. The Fantastic Four are returning courtesy of Dan Slott and artist Sarah Pacelli. I'm excited. It's going to have the four original members. Marvel 2-in-1 is going to continue alongside it. I hope it stays the Thing team-up book. That's what I want. Well, yeah. They can't do it any other way, right? Uh, The Fantastic Four have been missing from comics since 2015, or more accurately, their book ended in 2015. Right. They were, of course, in the Secret Wars event in 2016, and they have been gone ever since. Franklin and Valeria popped up in Marvel Legacy number one. I thought that Valeria was secretly Voyager in Avengers No Surrender. no. Uh, meanwhile, Ben and Johnny have been searching for the Fantastic Four in Marvel 2-in-1. And it's been great. Yeah, it's a good book. Okay. Uh, this book comes out in August. Let's get into it. Dan Slott is your Fantastic Four writer. I love it. Super into it. I totally I'm love 100% it. I'm 100% on board. If there's one thing that Fantastic Four can suffer from, and it's criticisms that I don't necessarily have, and I don't think you have either, but we've heard it from other people, is it's like so heavy and sci-fi that it gets lost in itself. And I think you Dan know, Slott can bring that little bit of humor and humanity to the book that could really bring a lot of those readers back after runs like Hickman's, you know, that just got so thick. I loved it, personally. But see, I don't think, tough for a lot of folks. I think if you compare Hickman's run on FF to his run on the Avengers books, I think the, he was more guilty of that on the Avengers books. I don't think it was quite so dense. But I see what you're getting at, and I, I definitely think that the tone will be different. It'll be much more oriented towards the family absolutely, and adventure, maybe not so much like mind-boggling things that we can we can barely wrap our noggins around. But wheels within wheels, as we always say. <laughs> yeah, yeah, say right, exactly. Hickman. That's Hickman's whole deal is wheels within wheels. Wheels within whales. Wheels within whales. <laughs> Episode title. There you go. <laughs> uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, I am. I I can't think of anybody else at Marvel that I'd rather write this book. Yeah, the, like they would have had to bring somebody else in from outside. Huge props to Sarah Pacelli, by the way, for getting what is one of the biggest jobs in the Marvel universe on a major return. I would say she is the female artist with the biggest job in comics as of this announcement. Period. I'm thrilled to have this back. I'm thrilled Dan Slott is here. Massive props to Sarah Pacelli. This is kick-ass. Nice job, Marvel. Absolutely. Big announcement. Super excited. 
Turning over to the DC desk, we've got a new Justice League imprint. That's right, you heard me. During its Meet the Publishers panel at WonderCon 2018, DC, Jim Lee, Dan DiDio, Bob Harris, and Scott Snyder announced that following the weekly No Justice series, the publisher will launch Some Justice. I'm just kidding, it's called New Justice, a Justice League-centric imprint that will include three Justice League titles as well as other titles such as Teen Titans and Hawkman. In addition to Snyder, Jim Chung, and Jorge Jimenez's previously announced Justice League series, two other series are going to spin off the core title. First up, Justice League Dark. God, I hate that title. But it is written by James Tinney and the Four, who we like, with art from Alvaro Lopez and Raul Fernandez and Brad Anderson. I don't know him. I'm not Um, not really familiar with any of those names except for the writer. But then writer. the, The preview art was good. Yeah. This is going to feature Detective Chimp, Zatanna, Man Bat, Swamp Thing. We saw that. We saw that teaser poster of it last week. The team is led by Wonder Woman for reasons. Then writer Josh Williamson. Because she's magic, magic related. I know. Writer Josh Williamson and artist Stepjan Sedgwick <laughs> will create. Stepjan Stevens. <laughs> Justice League Odyssey, in which Cyborg, Starfire, Asriel, which I called Whoa, my baby. shot on that one, Jessica Cruz, and Darkseid, yes. Dark side, explore the universe in one of Brainiac's old headships with flames painted on the side. <laughs> awesome. Originally, Snyder joked that this title was going to be called Justice League WTF, which stands for What the Fart. All what three fart? teams are going to operate out of the Hall of Justice with Snyder's core team using it as their headquarters. Snyder's Justice League will pit the team against a new Legion of Doom. He couldn't reveal which villains would compromise the roster, but it's going to be all of them, right? Just all of them. Many villains. Yeah. Also operating out of the Hall of Justice is a new incarnation of the Titans, written by Dan Abnett. I love this. Described by Snyder as Justice League's AAA farm team, which is exactly what it should be. But this is my problem with this. The team is led by Nightwing and Raven and includes Beast Boy Steel and Miss Martian. Why not put Cyborg here? Because he's going into space, baby. I know, I know. No, I agree. Meanwhile, writer Adam Glass and artist Bernard Chang will take over Teen Titans with 20, with a story that sends Robin out on his own, leading a team of rebellious young heroes, including Kid Flash, Red Arrow, and several completely new characters, like Lobo's daughter. I believe her name is Crush? I don't even know what that means. Who's Lobo's daughter? Crush. They revealed her a picture of her not too long ago. And I was like, oh, man. And I was like, that is so dumb. But I secretly kind of like it. <laughs> also, who the hell is Red Arrow? I don't know. Oh, wait, know. is that Ollie's sister? Could be. I don't the really green, know. The Green Arrow book, he's got like a sister. New Justice is the name of the imprint. What do we think of this? Is this just taking the DC superhero universe and calling it its own imprint? Is that all they're doing? Well, no, because it's not every book, right? It's not. I mean, I guess, but you can't tell me like Batman's not going to be there. Well, it's not that the characters aren't going to be there, Matt, and it's not separate from continuity. It's just like, okay, uh, remember in the '90s when Marvel or when DC launched all those horror-themed books, like sure. Scare Tactics, yeah, and and uh, uh, they rejuvenated Night Force and that kind of crap, and like Marvin and his monster or whatever. <laughs> that that was in its own. That was its own imprint, but they took place in the DC universe, right? And I, I guess I. I don't or know. like M Tech when they relaunched Warlock and and Deathlock and uh, whatever what the was the other one. Well, this Warlock, just this seems to me and Machine Man. Like we're gonna have three or four Justice League books, and we're gonna call it an imprint, so you don't notice that we're dumping three or four Justice League books on the stands and complain about it. Regardless, I am excited for all these creators and all of these books. This sounds I'm like not- a ton of fun. I'm not mad about them having multiple Justice League books because these all sound like they have separate identities. No, absolutely. And the characters involved are really, really cool. I love that Azrael is going to be there. He's one of my favorites. Oh. I love and he's his... been redesigned to sort of look like the bat armor from the 90s. Yeah, but it's more he's like, like a cross between the St. Dumas outfit and the Batman armor. Yeah, only it looks like a space suit as well. <laughs> yeah, kind of. And I totally called my shot on that one. Everyone's like, look at the new bat armor. I was like, that's not Batman. <laughs> Well, yeah, he had a giant flaming sword. Yeah, I mean, come on, people. That's a telltale sign. No, this all just sounds fantastic. It sounds like more wacky good times coming from Snyder and the kids that brought us Dark Knight's Metal and all his buddies that were involved in it. 
it sounds like a super cool new direction for the Justice League with its roots in the ridiculous Justice League that we love, like the Hall of Justice and the Legion of Doom. I mean, right. this just sounds fantastic. I'm, I'm really excited for all of these. Right, and there was more about this story later on that when Snyder was going into detail about like the setup between the teams and the Hall of Justice being like this central hub. And Martian Manhunter is like, front and center as like the gatekeeper he's the guy yeah like you don't get into the hall of justice without martian manhunter i love it and i love that he's being restored to that level of prominence and this is exactly what we talked about a few weeks ago where we wanted like expand the roster don't make it the same six people from six years ago when the new 52 started totally and you know like fine call Call uh, Cyborg uh, 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 a Justice League member. Call Swamp Thing a member of the Justice League. But have it be this expanded group where it's like, yeah, they're specialists for different kinds of missions. That's exactly what we were asking. Totally. For. I do really hate the term, the, the name. Justice League Justice Dark League is dark. stupid. It's yeah, so like stupid. There's... There could be a better name for that. Call but, it you know JLM what? They got, or they something. Like Justice League of Magic or something. You know, come on. Yeah, I mean, whatever. It's okay. Joe Patrick, dust off the uh, ROM news desk because we've got big news. The ROM news desk has <laughs> not been sat at for a couple it of years hasn't now. hasn't seen a lot of action. <laughs> Ready Player One screenwriter Zach Penn, he also wrote X-Men 2. You know, he's got some stuff. Sure. Uh, he also wrote X-Men 3. So. <laughs> Puke. <laughs> he has been hired by Paramount Pictures and Hasbro's AllSpark Pictures to write a ROM film. This news comes from Deadline. Uh, of course, ROM Space Knight is an alien cyborg who hunts the dire wraiths throughout the universe. He was originally a Hasbro toy line in the 70s who was really fleshed out in a tie-in comic from Marvel that we all love and dearly miss and are mad that we don't still have. What do you mean? He's over at IDW kicking ass. Yeah, right. <laughs> Alongside Mask and the Micronauts. Right, Mama Mask. <laughs> Uh, in recent years, IDW relaunched ROM. They got the rights through their partnership with Hasbro. And you might recall that back in 2015, we talked about how Hasbro and Paramount had plans for an integrated Hasbro cinematic universe. Oh, yeah, baby. With ROM, G.I. Joe, Micronauts, Visionaries, Mamma Mask, etc. And it was going to have like huge writer writing names like Michael Chabon and Brian K. Vaughn. And nothing has come from it. No. This is the first bit of news to come from that since 2015. Does this movie actually get made? It's hard to know. Because like you said, this is the first piece of news we've heard since we reported on this literally two years ago. I don't know. And I still think it sounds silly, but they also keep telling us that there's going to be like seven more Transformers movies. And... I don't. Aren't they rebooting though? Well, see, I think that reboot is going to be part of this Hasbro bullshit. I think that's where this is going to fit in. But I also don't think you can start this off with Rom Space Knight. That is not going to be the thing that draws people in the theaters and gets them gets them excited. About well, this unless crap. they tie it into Transformers, somehow. which is where that will go. I'm guessing. I mean, I think the I think the idea is solid for a movie, but it would be like. For the general masses, it would just be like a, yep, it's just another generic sci-fi yeah. movie about a guy that fights aliens in space. I do not think the, I don't think that this is a sound idea at all. I think outside of the Marvel Universe, I don't give a shit about Rom. I don't care True. about him fighting Transformers. I don't need to see him with mask. I think the whole thing sounds really stupid. And it sounds so, like from the people that are bringing you Rampage and Transformers. I, I just don't <laughs> give a shit. Let's real quick shift away from the movie to talk about IDW. There's this rumor going around that IDW is losing the rights to some of these Hasbro properties. They just announced this big Transformers comic event that they are touting as the end of the IDW Transformers universe. Hmm. And the rumor is that uh, there was some kerfuffle that went on uh, a few months back that ultimately led to uh, editor-in-chief Chris Rial leaving the company. Really? And he's the guy that kind of spearheaded all this stuff. He's the guy that brought Rom back. Uh, it's all rumor, and nobody really knows what happened at IDW Day that, that made him leave the company. It's all just speculation, but 
it's possible that IDW is losing these big properties. Who at puts least out the Transformers, Transformers movies? Who, who puts those out? Paramount. Okay, Paramount. So they're not getting bought or anything like that. I just wanted to make sure it wasn't like Sony or Fox or something. Well, I mean, and Hasbro, of course, own, you know, is the company. Sure. I mean, and that, that could be, that's a damn shame because the Transformers comics at IDW, we constantly have told you guys, are much better than they have any right to be. It's, it's a wonderful universe that they've fleshed out over there. I, I would be sorry to see that go, but that would certainly be a bullet in the head of their Hasbro line. I mean, and that Hasbro, that, that merged Hasbro comic universe, I mean, I have to believe it tanked. Yeah, it sucks. Because it was not good. No, it sucks. Like, their insistence on merging all these properties together basically ruined their G.I. Joe comics, which were pretty dang good. Yeah. And none of the other Hasbro books other than G.I. Joe, and maybe Rom if you're a fan, have been any good at all. Like, Mask was terrible. Micronauts yeah. wasn't that great. Unreadable. Visionaries didn't even make fucking sense. I think it was a failed experiment. It was ambitious, but like I never grew up wanting to imagine that all of my different toy lines belonged in the same world yeah. like I did my Marvel characters. It's just you know stupid. I mean? It's just absolutely stupid. Like if you have G.I. Joe, you don't even have a need for a team like Mask. It doesn't make sense. You know what I yeah. mean? And I'm sorry, but the Transformers win that fight no matter who it is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they just wipe them off the earth. But right. okay, this... Rom news does lend a little bit of credence to that rumor then. If something is getting broken up, if IDW is losing the rights to something, maybe it's Transformers, maybe it's G.I. Joe, I don't know. That could be the bullet in the head of that movie universe well, too. Well, I mean, not really. They announced say, this back in 2015, no, so I know. they had plans for but it. But I'm saying they they could just be saying, well, we still have some of these properties. Let's just make a Rom movie. Let's see what happens. I think it falls completely flat on its face. And honestly, even if Rom, even if Rom was back in the Marvel U, and we were going to get some type of Rom in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, I would much rather see him in Guardians of the Galaxy than in his own movie. I don't think he sustains his own movie. They could make a sci-fi movie out of Rom, and it would be fine. But it's not going to hold any impact really outside of no guys like you and me and Aaron Myers. The three of us will go to the movie together. There you go. <laughs> So there's your nerd news and analysis for this week. Be sure to head over to the THN forums and let us know what you think about these stories. We had a lot of thoughts about IDW. Yeah, I don't we know did. If it's even related. And let us know everything we missed. You can find them by heading to twoheadednerd.com and clicking on that forums button. It's easy. It's review time, the ziggurat, and poor Joe looks like he just came off a bender. Whew, buddy. Joey. You won the off-mic Green Lantern ring construct arm wrestling match, so why don't you tell us about Dark Knight's Metal, number six. Breathless, number one, <laughs> from Black Mask. We had a little a secret kerfuffle off-mic about what we were reviewing this week. <laughs> this is written by Pat Shand, with art by Renzo Rodriguez. It's 36 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. It's Buffy the Vampire Slayer, if the villains were Big Pharma. Scout Turner works as a cryptozoologist, examining and cataloging supernatural creatures for scientific purposes. When she discovers the cure for asthma in the venom of a new breed of monster, she quickly finds herself on the run from Kenilworth Pharmaceuticals and the monsters that they've hired to kill her. So Scout works in a lab tasked with studying the various cryptids that are captured within the city, She's got a bubble-headed, motor-mouthed assistant, infuriatingly named Grace Isley Wellington Burke. Good God. And they make fun of it in the book. It's okay, funny. Okay, okay. And she can't show up on time. She won't shut up, but she proves to be indispensable in the lab. She sounds like a designing women character. <laughs> Shan's characters all have a unique voice. Their interactions ring true, whether Scout is dealing with her sassy grandma or a back-alley succubi. I had... I have to admit, I had an unfair bias against writer Pat Shand because I had him pegged as that Xenoscope guy. That's all I've ever seen his name on. Yeah, Xenoscope books. It's true. And I know he's written other things, but I've never given him a try because he's that Xenoscope guy. Well, I feel like Xenoscope editorial has a pretty iron hand when it comes to their writers. They're like, no! <laughs> Red Robin Hood should be busting out of her top in this scene and bending over all the time, you know? <laughs> I have to admit, though, I really loved this. He has a real knack for dialogue, and it makes the story flow, and even the secondary characters 
feel like they're an important part of the story. Renzo Rodriguez does a great job on art duties. I picked out several influences in the character work, like Jamie McKelvey, Jamal Eigel, and David Baldion. Yeah, those are all really good calls. His backgrounds are remarkably detailed, so much so that I wouldn't be surprised if he used a bit of digital assistance. But the backgrounds fit seamlessly with the main character, uh, with the drawn characters. My one tiny complaint, and it really is a nitpick, is that Rodriguez goes to the trouble of rendering detail in even the smallest panels, including things like books in bookcases and boxes on pharmacy shelves. But there's no variation. They're all the same size. There's no logos. And so it just kind of looks artificial a little bit here and there. It only happens a couple times, and I didn't find it too distracting, though. We've said it before, I don't know what Black Mask's deal is with the weird sci-fi twists thrown onto real-world concepts. Yeah, they do it in all their books. It's so weird. I, like, every comic. Yeah. But we're just going to have to go with it here. I really enjoyed Breathless Number 1. I love the premise. The art and dialogue are great. And Shandit Rodriguez have created a cast that I'm excited to follow. I'm giving it a buy it. I'm giving this a buy it as well. And... He, he... Yeah, I don't understand that need to like throw that one thing into the story that has nothing to do with the plot that makes you just go, wait a minute, what? <laughs> and I will say that in this case, it actually is part of the plot. Like no, her it, whole job is investigating cryptids. It's not like that one book we, where we, we reviewed where the guy was like a courier. He's a black market courier. And all of a sudden there's like weird robot drones and stuff. Yeah. That just come out of nowhere. Yeah. And I mean, this is ingrained, I think in a decent way into the plot. It is. I didn't feel like maybe it needed it, but it's fine. The art was very good here. I don't think here. it needed it either. Yeah. The art is very good here. The story looks like fun. If you're into Buffy, the vampire slayer type stories. Yeah. I would say pick this one up. Hey, all right. Let's talk about the return of cyber force. I'm ready. I read it. Sounds I have great. Thoughts. Daredevil, number 600 from Marvel, written by Charles Soule, with art by Ron Garney. It's 56 pages for $5.99. Here's your solicit, and I want you to pay attention to this one, okay? Mayor Fisk! Conclusion. That's the important part. Daredevil can see the new mayor's machinations coming together, but is he in time to stop them? Guest starring both the heroes and villains of New York City streets, this oversized anniversary issue has a surprising ending that will shake the city to its very core, plus a look at Foggy and Matt's relationship over the years. Which, all right. So, you heard it right there in the solicit, right? This is it, the conclusion of of the Mayor Fisk storyline that's been dragging on in Hornhead's book for what seems like a year now. But, guess what? It's not the conclusion. <laughs> I have enjoyed a lot of Charles Soule's writing over the years, but more recently, I gotta admit, he's losing me, specifically with this current Daredevil run. Full disclosure here. When asked who's my main Marvel man, yeah, it's DD. I've been a huge fan of Marvel street-level kung fu heroes for as long as I can remember, mainly because it seemed like they were fighting the good fight in the neighborhoods and alleys while the Avengers were somewhere in space and time. I can't tell you that Soul's writing is bad here, because it's not. The dialogue is solid, Matt Murdock's voice is believable, and right on tone. But it's the plot of this Mayor Fisk storyline that has just become preposterous. First, Fisk became mayor, which is silly, but I loved Lex Luthor when he became president, so I'll bite. Then he narrowly dodges a million scandals and threats to his person while rewriting the city bylaws to give himself a third term. Then, he makes Matt Murdock the deputy mayor. Then, well, no spoilers, but by the end of this issue, things get even sillier. I'm not trying to sound like an aging fan man boy that doesn't want to see his favorite characters ever change, but this is just getting ridiculous. The Mayor Fisk storyline is dredging up some of the old DD trauma that I experienced from Andy Diggle's Shadowlands story, which messed up the character of Daredevil so bad that Mark Wade had to come in and wipe the slate clean. Soul's story isn't there yet, but it's very close, and I am ready for someone else to take over the creative reins. Ron Garney has been nothing short of excellent, though, on pencils. He switched up his normally very solid classic hero art style for some very loose and frenetic-looking pop art, almost. It works very well for the feeling of this political thriller, but like I said, the story just isn't doing him any favors. While Soul has built yet another massive storyline here for Murdoch and Fisk that's taken them both to the height of power in NYC, 
I just wish he'd bring the plot back down to street level. I can only give this a skim it, and I'm just tired of this storyline. So I didn't read this because you didn't tell me you'd switched gears. Just like you. Wrong. (laughs) But I have to push back at you a little bit about the whole not being a conclusion thing because that's how Daredevil has rolled for years. Like when Bendis ended his run on Daredevil, it ended on a cliffhanger. It was still the end of that story. It ended on a cliffhanger, though, that Ed Brubaker had to pick up and run with. No, I get that. This also ended on a cliffhanger, but it also ended on a cliffhanger that has to continue this very storyline. Okay, but this I know the ending of this story, not and it's over. not going to be Mayor Fisk anymore. Well, yeah, I know. I don't No spoilers here. They so very the much set up what's going Mayor on. So it's the end of Mayor Fisk part five of five or whatever. I mean, I'll, I'll give you that, I guess, but it's certainly not the conclusion to the story that I don't need or want. All right. Well, fair enough. Okay. So that's a double buy it for Breathless number one and a single skim it for Daredevil 600. We'll post our written reviews over at 2editor.com so you nerds can tell us what you thought of this week's comics. Joe, meet me in the THN dojo now. (sighs) Why? Because pain is merely an idea in a weak man's mind. Here we go. It's almost summer movie season, nerds, and over the long, cruel Nebraska winter, Joey and I have become soft, weak baby men. All right, what fresh new hell do you have for me today? Joe, put on your Wu-Tang gi, because it's time to start killing machine training. By the time Infinity War premieres, we need to be in peak fighting condition. So grab your bucket of hot sand, and let's start punching until our hands become like things of iron, while we review eight more comics during... The Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! Dark Knight's Metal, number six from DC. There it is. (laughs) Metal ends as it begins with a ton of huge ideas thrown against the page in a way I can barely make sense of, but I had a great time reading it. Naturally, the heroes rally to defeat Barbados and his dark Batman, and the DC Universe is rocked to its core. There are a ton of fun moments specifically featuring Batman, the Joker, and Hawkman, but for me, the real treat was the potential that Metal sets up for the future. A lot of great uh, teasers for 90s comic fans. I won't spoil anything. I got excited, though. Great work by Scott Snyder, Greg Capullo, and Michael Jannon, who draws the uh, epilogue. It's a buy-in. By the way, that is Barbatos. Not Barbatos. Not Barbados. We all our listeners in Barbados. We love you. No one is fighting. Okay. Yeah, and you're also you are not evil. Yes. Factory number one from Titan. Mobius and Jodorowsky collaborator Yassine Elghori. I'm sure I said that right. Wow. Tells the story of a group of mutants trudging through the wasteland to find the last semblance of civilization, the Factory. This is a completely bizarre and pretty gross sci-fi ride in the spirit of Yassine's collaborators, without a whole lot of story. Factory was pretty to look at, but featured a little too much Jodorowsky and not enough Mobius. I'm giving it a skim it. G.I. Joe, a real American hero, number 250 from IDW. It's a milestone issue for IDW's continuation of Larry Hama's magnum opus. I really had no idea what the hell was happening here because I haven't been reading the book, but I jumped right in and had no real trouble following thanks to a recap page and Hama's knack for exposition. Did you know that there is a female Snake Eyes now? Ugh. You should read her origin. It's <laughs> nuts. Netho Diaz does a decent job on the art, though the colors by Milan Paravernov are a little bit muddy. This definitely scratches an itch, and it harkens back to a time when I was buying those polybagged three-packs of Joe comics from the local convenience store. But I don't think it's something I need every month. G.I. Joe, a real American hero, 250 gets a strong skip it. It both harkens and scratches. There you go. Harkens my scratching. The Crow, Memento Mori, number one from IDW. This time, the Crow pops up in Rome, Italy as a former altar boy killed by Muslim extremists when a truck runs into a Catholic procession on the street. All the usual beats are here, including the moody Gothic dialogue, but this time the Crow is fighting an enemy ripped straight from the headlines, and boy, is he killing the hell out of them. Beautiful art by Werther Deledra? Werther Deledra. Sure. And a great backup story written and illustrated by Mateo Scalera. The Crow fights terror and gets a buy it. 
Wowzers. Doctor Strange, Damnation, number one through three. This is three issues for one review. Marvel Comics. I'm an overachiever. As promised, you recommend a comic. Well, as Matt promised. You recommend a comic and we'll review it. I was challenged by loyal listener Esteban to review Damnation, so I caught up on the series and I'm ready to deliver. Remember when Las Vegas got destroyed during Secret Empire? Vaguely. Nah, me neither. (laughs) But Nick Spencer and Donny Cates do, and so does Doctor Strange. When the Doc uses his newfound power boost, see recent issues of Doctor Strange, I assume, to resurrect the entire city, he, oops, brings Mephisto and his hordes of hell with it. It's a fun idea full of goofy moments like Mephisto as an infernal casino owner in a slick suit, Ghost Rider possessed Avengers, and Wong assembling a team that barely makes any sense on the basis that he could probably take them down if they get possessed. Hmm. I enjoyed the first issue and was pissed when Marvel switched out artist Rod Rice for Zyman Kadransky on 2 and 3, and it is not a fair trade. (laughs) Rice is back for the final issue next month, but the inconsistent art bugged me. I'm giving Damnation a skim it for the art, but I do enjoy the story. Mother Panic, Gotham AD number one from DC. In the wake of the Milk Wars, Mother Panic finds herself in an alternate Gotham with no Batman, or at least no Batman yet, question mark. Readers of the series will continue to love Jody Hauser's dialogue and violent story, but this is by no means a jumping on point. Making this the second issue of Young Animal Titles coming out of the Milk Wars with a new number one that will be very hard for new readers to follow. While I enjoyed it, I have to question the thinking here. I'm giving it a buy it. But again, don't pick this up thinking you're going to know what's going on. Damnation, Johnny Blaze, Ghost Rider, number one from Marvel. In this Damnation tie-in, Johnny Blaze and Ghost Rider, yeah, that's right, run roughshod through the seven circles of hell in an effort to turn the tide against Mephisto. This was a really fun one-shot by friend of the show Christopher Sabella and artist Phil Noto. I love Sabella's take on the individual personalities of Blaze and the Spirit of Vengeance, and while this isn't really the sort of story I usually think I'd find Phil Noto, it's Phil Noto. You know it looks good. Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider is a great ride and the perfect example of an event tie-in that matters. Cyber Force number one, we did it! From Image slash Top Cow. The hit knockoff X-Men turned cyborgs of the 90s returned, this time with Matt Hawkins on writing duties, and he does a great job giving the story a very modern feel. A female techno-terrorist is threatening to push the world back to the Stone Age, and one group has a plan to stop her. By creating a group of cyber-enhanced shock troops, of course. Here, we only get the origin of Stryker, the team leader, and I wasn't crazy about his design, but the story is well above any Cyberforce origin yet. So, I'm giving it a buy it. I will say... Oh boy, are you kidding? No, I liked it! I will say, Stryker's main deal is he has three arms on one side, and he does not have three arms on one side. They- actually said in the script yes. that he had three arms. And in the script, he's like, you gave me three arms. And he's only got two. <laughs> so I'm not sure what was going on there. <laughs> I thought that the script was fine. I thought the art was kind of bad. I, I didn't love the art. They kind of made, like made him look like a burn victim instead of like a yeah, cyber-enhanced right. you know, person. Like, I like that slick, banded, metal, like, Colossus yeah. kind of. Yeah, he looked awesome. Like, it's, it was cool in the 90s. It's still cool today. That weird, like, liquid metal. It, you're right. Burn Victim is exactly what he looks yeah, like. Yeah, that's not what I need. I need a slicker artist on this. Okay, skim it. How's that? Skim it. I need a slicker okay. artist. Way to stick to your guns. Splosh! That is your Luker speed round. And splosh is the sound of Marco and Alana enjoying some grown-up time. Oh, Gross. As seen in the pages of Saga 50. I hope they're like... Right there on the first page. I hope they're skinny dipping or something and not nope. what I think. Submitted by JD. Gotta catch them all on the Facebook. If you want to submit an onomatopoeia of the week, just hit us up on any of our social media or shoot us an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Well, my hands are bleeding pretty good here, so I'm going to call it a day. Matt, I'm going to head back to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum to plug myself in to those Black Mercy seedlings we picked up at the Evil Henchman Farmer's Market last week. I love the Evil Henchman's Farmer Market. (laughs) So so many great things. Oh, my God. And the produce. 
<laughs> Why don't you join me and we'll cool down with wild fantasies of reading next week's comics. Uh, okay, that sounds all right. Next week, I am going to pick up Analog Number 1 from Image. It's written by Jerry Duggan with art by David O'Sullivan, who I very much enjoy. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Chapter 1! Five years from now, the security of the internet has been totally destroyed. Secrets are no longer sent over the web. They're entrusted to armed couriers called ledgermen, like human punching bag Jack McGinnis. He's got a gun in one hand and a briefcase handcuffed to the other. Danger lurks around every corner, and Jack has to watch his back because he had a part in the cyber attack that changed the world. Get in on the ground floor of this new ongoing series and thrill as we slam Jack's fist into the faces of spies, mercs, fascists, and eventually less punchable adversaries like a very grumpy artificial intelligence. From your new favorite artist, David O'Sullivan and Jerry Duggan, this is the funny part of this solicit. The New York Times bestselling author of such indie titles as Deadpool, Star Wars Chewbacca, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Uncanny Avengers. I think he's having a little <laughs> he's having a little fun there. <laughs> indie darling Jerry Duggan. Yeah. I Jerry Duggan is good. He's a very talented writer. I haven't loved everything he's been working on. Like, I'm just not that interested in reading Deadpool month to month. I didn't love his Guardians of the Galaxy, but I don't know that it was necessarily his fault. And I would like to see him off the leash here and what he can do. Yeah, I like Jerry Duggan. Yeah. My pick is Swashbucklers. The Saga Continues, number one, from Dynamite. Written by Mark Guggenheim with art by Andrea Moody. It's 32 pages for $3.99. This was an epic book, right? Marvel it epic? It was. The last we saw of the crew of the Star Shadow in the pages of Bill Mantlo and Butch Geis's Swords of the Swashbucklers, it seemed that all was lost. Decades later, Raider and her crew returned to bring their adventuring to the cosmos once again. Blah, 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 Guggenheim, epic space pirates, yada, yada, yada. <laughs> uh, so... You know, those of you that listen to the show might think, Joe, that's not something I would normally expect you to pick, and you'd be right. But one of my fondest memories of when I first started reading comics, when I was just like, like getting them piecemeal one at a time sure. randomly, you know, right? Uh, was the ads. The ads in the Marvel comics especially, uh, the house ads for other titles where I could imagine what was going on in them. Oh, yeah. Swords of the Swashbucklers was one of them. St. George. I remember seeing those ads as one. a kid. St. Oh, George. St. George and Steel Grip Starkey was another uh, one. Oh. Jim Starlin's Jim Starlin's Dreadstar. Yeah. I was like, holy shit, that dude's sword has an axe on it. <laughs> but yeah, so like I remember seeing these Willie ads. Toots is sitting here in the studio with us and he's like wiggling. <laughs> he loved Marvel <laughs> Epic so much. Uh, I just remember seeing you can talk now we broke it okay, okay. <laughs> for swords of the swashbucklers in uh like my spider-man comics and it was like yeah it was an epic book i had no idea what it was about but i always thought it looked super duper interesting i'm glad that they're bringing it back uh i'm not a huge fan of mark guggenheim i love andrea moody though yeah i do too moody is uh, very yeah. talented so i'm really interested uh, to see what they do cool cool yeah good pick joe the trade of the week goes to X-Men Grand Design Volume 1 Trade Paperback from Marvel Comics, written and illustrated by Jed Piscor. Actually, it's Ed J. Ed Piscor. <laughs> it's Ed Piscor. It's 120 pages for $29.99, but it's big. It's real big. It's awesome looking. Treasury size. Over six tumultuous decades, the X-Men have carved a singular place in comic book lore and popular culture. From their righteous birth in the 60s to their legendary reboot in the 70s to their attitude adjustment in the 90s. Ugh. To their battle against extinction in the zero zeros. The X-Men have remained unquestionably relevant to generations of readers. The ultimate underdogs in an increasingly complicated world. Now, New York Times bestselling author Ed Piscor, who gave us the hip-hop family tree and WYSIWYG, takes you on a pulse-pounding tour of X-Men history unlike anything you've ever experienced before. An intricate labor of love that stitches together hundreds of classic and obscure stories into one seamless X-Men masterpiece. This volume also includes 1963's X-Men number one, masterfully recolored by Ed, presented Ooh, in the same dynamic, oversized format of the best-selling hip-hop family tree. It's real big, treasury-sized. It's so Sexy. I cannot say enough 
about how crazy and friggin' cool this book was. We reviewed the first one a while ago, and it's not just Piscor going back and telling the story of the X-Men comics. He draws in stuff from video games, from the animated series, from... No, 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 no. That's not what he's doing. He's taking... He absolutely does. No, no, no. He's not taking in extra continuity. He's taking stuff from... That was retconned, like, from the 80s and 90s that was retroactively added to the original history. Sure, but he also... piecing it together like a jigsaw puzzle. He also takes some stuff directly from the cartoons and throws it in there as well. No, he does not, Matt. If you want me to go back to my old review, I will, Joe. Yes, you've been wrong three times today. Make it correct. (laughs) In the back matter of some of the stuff where he's explaining where he got this from, there is one where he talks about Wolverine fighting with Captain America... And I can't remember somebody else in World War II on one of the animated X-Men shows. And he put that in the continuity because he thought it was more interesting than what they did with the actual continuity. It's absolutely whatever, bro. So whatever, bro. That's my third up your butt, Joe Patrick, today. Smoke. Whatever, bro. (laughs) Up your butt. All right. Those are our picks for next week. Do your retailer a favor and add them to your pull list now. And of course, Let us know what you thought of our picks and what you plan on reading over at the THN forums. Hey guys, we want to take a quick minute to thank our sponsor for this month, Midwinter from Revision Studios. Midwinter is a long-form graphic novel that meshes cyberpunk, fantasy, a little bit of horror. It's got action and intrigue, magic, cyborgs, mutants, all that stuff, everything in between. Midwinter is the product of a group of local indie creators, a really talented bunch of people. Uh, The creator of Midwinter, Kayla, is an old classmate and friend of mine, and I've had the pleasure of seeing her develop this project over the last six or seven years, and it's just been a pleasure seeing her bring this project to life. If you go to their Kickstarter now, you can help them fund issue seven of the current series. Uh, Those issues will eventually get collected into graphic novel formats. If you are a new fan, you can get all of the back issues through the fundraiser campaign. There's also a lot of great rewards like keychains and prints and posters. You can even have your own face inserted into Midwinter as a character. To find the fundraiser, you can go to kickstarter.com and search Midwinter issue 7 or go to midwintercomic.com and click support to find the Kickstarter banner. Uh, These are some really deserving indie creators that need your help to keep their book going. It's a worthy project, and they are fans and supporters of THN, so show them some love. Thank you, Midwinter, for sponsoring the Two Headed Nerd this month. Guys, we talk about comics plenty on this show. We decided to take a little break from the funny books and talk about video games for a bit. But we can't do it alone, folks. I'd like to welcome the official Dungeon Master, Mr. Willie Toots, Jared Savitas himself, to the Ziggurat. Hello. For a brand new segment based on a blog that he used to write called Twiddling My Thumbsticks. A whole two entries except, I, put, I put in that blog. <laughs> a whole two except, this, except now it's called Twiddling Our Thumbsticks. Yeah, because we're all doing Because we're all twiddling it. We're twiddling each other's thumbsticks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey Joe Patrick, what have you been playing? All right, so this was my idea. Matt really argued with me against it. I didn't love because it. Because he's a baby. No, I just, you know, I like to keep the show comic-centric, but whatever. Don't have a closed mind, Matt. It's all nerd culture. We all love it. So the idea is we get together and we talk about what we're playing lately, what we like, what we don't like, recommend some stuff. I think it'll be fun. Now, I know that Toots... <laughs> Yo. We'll kick it off with you. I know that you have been playing one game exclusively since because that's how you roll yeah 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 okay if you don't if you don't know this about me i can only play one video game at a time until i'm completely fucking done with it and it takes me like a year that's the right way to do it okay it takes me a year so since i've had the xbox one all i've done is play one assassin's creed game after another okay okay so currently i am playing origins which takes place in ancient egypt supposed to be wonderful it is gorgeous and super fun, and uh, but listen, you're gonna feel it is rep- repetitive. Okay. Okay. Uh, 
I've heard some people complain about that. You know, I, ha- I and I can see that now that they've that somebody said that to me, I was like, oh, I guess, yeah. What's the repetitive part? Um, just that your missions aren't really too varied, and, and, and you know, you're you're doing kind of like the same things over and over again, but it's so badass. It doesn't matter, and it's like open sandbox world, like Red Dead Redemption where you have the entire area and you can go wherever you want and if you go into an area that is tougher than you it is tougher than you man okay like before i had leveled up i had one of the most epic battles against a hippopotamus that i a hippopotamus a hippopotamus <laughs> like it i could i tell you i was it was rough hippos are mean hippos it, actually and, kill people and when you are not leveled up enough to fight a hippo in that game let me tell you you're going to get destroyed <laughs> fair enough <laughs> Don't fight the hippo until you're ready. Don't fight the hippo until you're ready. Haven't all the Assassin's Creed games been guilty of being a little repetitive? Not that it was never a problem for me because I liked the the I like the gameplay, so I don't care. I liked the gameplay, and it looked so cool that I didn't mind that I was like hunting beasts or looking for feathers or you know. I mean, like that was this added aspect of the game, right? That gave you more playing time, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there multiplayer in this one, or is that just gone? Uh no, there's no, there's not. They there's gave no, up on yeah, that. Yeah, there's no none of that action. Okay, all right. Uh, which is, I don't think anybody it, liked the Assassin's Creed multiplayer when they did it. See, we liked it when we did it. It was all right. I mean, but it only kept my attention for so long, and then uh, they added into um, not Syndicate. Maybe it was. It wasn't Syndicate. No, the one, be- the one before Syndicate that like Union Unity? Unity Unity Unity, and people were like, "Screw this game." Well. The badass thing about Unity is it had co-op missions okay. that you could do, like a couple, uh, you know, a couple assassins could do an, a mission together. Right. And I really wish that that would have been explored more in later games, and they would have done that type of multiplayer where it's like hook up with your buddies, and instead of doing like PvP, it's you guys got to sneak in and do all this crap, right? You know, and assassinate this dude and go get this relic and like this and that. Like that was that was a blast, and I did I did that with uh, uh, the rabbi Eric Linder a little bit, and it was sweet. I wish they would do more of that stuff. Yeah, you know, Joe Patrick, what are you playing? Uh, so this week I have been playing Far Cry Five, which came out uh, just a few days ago. Um, the Far Cry games, if you've never played them, they're basically all the same. Um, you get dropped in a situation where you have to fight against a group that has taken over a region and you liberate bases and you hunt animals and you rescue prisoners, yada, yada, yada. Right. And I've played a couple of them and they're fun, but I've always kind of stalled out, um, The last installment in the Far Cry series was Far Cry Primal, which was a weird diversion because it was set in like prehistoric times. Oh, I loved it. I loved it uh, so much. You were like a, you know, Cro-Magnon or whatever, the uh, Homo erectus, I don't know. You were like a caveman, basically. And so like there was nobody was speaking (laughs) English and it was all very tribal. And um, you like uh, hunted saber-toothed tigers and crap. Yeah, you get to ride a woolly mammoth. Oh, it was awesome. It was crazy. (laughs) Um, This installment is set in America, and you are a deputy. You are a local sheriff's deputy in Hope County, Montana, and you go on a ride-along with a federal marshal to go arrest the leader of a cult uh, called Eden's Gate. It goes very, very poorly, and you basically get dropped – uh, in the middle of this uh, this Montana wilderness with nothing, and you have to fight your way through until you gather enough resources to eventually start fighting back. Uh, and you know they've uh, they've captured your you, they've captured your other deputy friends. They captured the marshal, and so it's just you and the local townsfolk that are not cult members waging war against this fanatic group that has grown to such size that they have literally conquered this entire county in Montana. Jesus. And (laughs) so there's a lot of, like, at the beginning of the game, there's a lot of, like, very relevant-sounding 
stuff like interviews with townspeople where it's like nobody took him seriously. Nobody thought it could happen here. Nobody nobody realized that these guys were were really dangerous until it was too late. Like we ignored them until it was too late. And uh, yeah, it's really fun. And so you uh, you go around the map and you uh, liberate like people's farms and airfields and whatever, and you re- recruit allies to help you fight back. Um, you can hire um, like associates, like guns for hire, to fight with you, uh, which is a fun dynamic. You can even befriend a couple of animal companions that will fight with you. Like the first thing I did was rescue a dog named Boomer. And now Boomer is my constant companion. He will go into battle with me and he will like straight up murder redneck cult members. That's fun. I love when you have animals, and, animal friends. Yeah. See, in Assassin's yeah. Creed, you can, you can tra- uh, train uh, lions and leopards and stuff. Like if you go down that feet tree. And so I can like, I can uh, tr- get a get a lion, right, uh, or a leopard oh, buddy. Yeah. But then the thing is, they they'll run around with you through the whole map. But the minute you do a cutscene, and you come back, your animal is gone. So oh. like nothing pisses me off more. Like well, I've got a yeah. lion, and I'm rolling around with a lion, yeah. and he's helping me fight That's... dudes. And then I just happen to click a a dude that unknowingly takes me into a. A cut small cutscene where I might get a small little side mission, and then I come back and I'm like, "My lion, where's my man? That's damn lion." Yeah, <laughs> that seems like it must be a glitch. That sucks. It does suck. Uh, I think they do that because but they, get they don't they don't know who's gonna have what pet or whatever, and it's they easier get killed just to code it without anyways. it. Yeah, like, I mean, they, come they, on. They, well, I mean, I get I get why they wouldn't be in the cutscene, but not to have him when you come out of the cutscene. That's stupid. Yeah, man, you're yeah. And then your lion gets killed pretty quickly anyways. But then, you know what? You take his skin. And, oh. then, and, then, oh. and then you can use that for other things. There you so go. It's, like wearing a lion head. It's cool, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'll use it to upgrade my weapons. Fair enough. So uh, in, in, in Far Cry 5, I think you can also eventually like recruit a bear and a mountain lion. Uh, that like are named That's like you know how in Red Dead Redemption they had named animals that yep. you could go fight. Yeah, the epic animals were named. Yeah, yeah. yeah. these are like epic animals, but instead of fighting them, you they ally with you. Huh, okay, um, That's fun. But yeah, and so uh, you know, it, it's sort of like Assassin's Creed in the sense that like you might feel like things get a little repetitive. Like okay, go to this place, shoot ten guys, right? Rescue the rescue the homeowner. And yeah, there is some of that, but um, there's been a lot of like really varied elements in uh, the in the story missions. Like yesterday, I I rescued a woman f- that was uh, defending a church f- by sniping in a bell tower. Uh, she was protecting like the headstones of her family, and the cult was coming to deface them and destroy them. And so, like, while she sniped guys from the church, I ran around this cemetery and, like, bashed dudes until they they gave up. And now she runs with me. Now she rolls with me as, like, my sniper buddy. Oh, that's uh, right. That's like, cool. I also uh, I, I defended a guy's airfield, and I, I rescued his plane from cultists. And then I had to fly the plane back from him. And he's like, hey, while you're at it, why don't you just fly this plane over all these compounds and dive bomb them? <laughs> that was super fun. <laughs> And now if I want, I can hire him and he'll come provide air support while I'm fighting. So there's a lot of variety in that. Um, I think the story is super fun. It's weird that the character, the main character, does not talk at all. You don't see him. He doesn't say anything. You know He's what? Spoken all the, to, all but the Far Cry speaks. games are kind of like that. Primal was like that. There's too. no dialogue. Like that yeah, you, people no, just that talk comes, to you. But there's no like text dialogue that no. comes up on People nope. just sort of talk nope. to you. Hmm. But Far Cry Primal, the main character talked. He just spoke in that tribal language. I don't remember him talking at all. I remember other yeah, people did. talking at me. No, he definitely did. And Far oh, Cry go, go. Three, uh, which was the last game I had, he definitely talked. Like your guy definitely interacted with characters. Okay. So this is kind of a weird thing to like have this faceless guy that you're representing that uh, doesn't say anything, but I'm having a ton of fun with it. I recommend it. Maybe he's deaf 
Or mute. Maybe. Not deaf. I mean, not, yeah. not deaf, but mute. He's mute. Maybe he's mute. Yeah. yeah. Maybe he's like the uh, sound of water lady. Fair enough. All right. I've what been, about you, Matt? Yeah. What I've been playing? playing Monster Hunter World. Oh, I, you have? Yeah. I got sick of Matt Lockwood posting these fucking awesome screen caps of yeah. really okay. cool looking monsters. Yeah. And so I had just lost interest in Shadow of Mordor, which is a. I'm sorry. Yeah, Shadow of Mordor, which is a wonderful game. But as you get to the end game, it gets so easy that it just becomes completely repetitive. Like they overpower your character. Yeah. If you do it the right way. And I did it. I, I'm the guy that goes through and does everything. That's the, that's the, that's the way with this Origins, Assassin's Creed Origins. Yeah. Like I have like done shit for the main yeah. quest line. I did and all I'm, the side I'm stuff. I'm doing all the side stuff. And now I'm like so out, out leveled everything. Yeah. But they've. Added a thing, they did an update where you can now tweak the settings where everything will now level up to you. Okay. So, like, say I'm, you know, I, I'm level 12 and I still have a level 7 mission. Right. But you can tweak it where that'll now, like, okay. even out with you. Shadow of Shadow Mordor nice. did not. And I did not hear great things about Shadow of War, so I did not pick it up. I heard there was, like, some pay-for-play stuff involved in there, and I'm not interested yeah. in that at all. So I went and grabbed Monster Hunter World. I have not played a Capcom game in a very long time. I didn't realize it. But, like, all the RPGs that I had been playing were very, very serious. Like, everything was hyper serious. Like The Witcher. The Witcher, yeah. Like, end of the world type shit. My only problem with The Witcher was you were so macho that I could not stand, like, his dialogue. (laughs) So I made him have sex with every dude that I encountered. (laughs) and Capcom... What's up, bro? Drop him. The, yeah. <laughs> the Monster Hunter world, while very like cool-looking and very natural, still has these sort of like old-school Capcom cartoony sort of anime things going on. Like, you meet characters, and like they giggle, and they're happy to be here, and they want to help you, you know? And you've got like a little cat helper yeah. that follows you around. Your little Hello Kitty buddy. <laughs> yeah, and he's awesome. I could design him. I named him Chiwe. <laughs> and, uh, my wife keeps calling him Tugboat because he's wearing this big <laughs> armor on him, but he can run really fast and stuff. And like you eating, it's like a very important part of the game, which is something normally... Like in The Witcher or in these other games. It's just glossed over. You yeah. pick up a mushroom and chomp, 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 and you're better, right? Well, yeah. now you like go to this central place of the kitchen, and this big cat character and two little cat characters cook special meals for you that give you bonuses and battle and stuff like Here's that. Here's some mac and cheese. So whenever someone comes and says, hey, you're going to be chasing this monster, you want to go and eat something before you go do it. You know, and sure. it'll, it'll power you up and okay. give you some benefits and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. The world is Buff super fleshed out. My okay, my only problem with the game is when you initially come into the world, they have you pick a weapon. And you don't have to stick with it, but they have you pick a weapon and go out into combat. And I picked one that is awesome. It's like part spear and part like pole for pole vaulting. So you could like run and vault up in the air and stab monsters from the top and shit like that. It's a pole arm, bro. Yeah. But it's more than that. It's ridiculously huge. <laughs> and, and you can actually mount certain monsters and ride them and stuff like that when you beat them up enough and capture them that way and shit. It is difficult, probably more advanced gameplay than I was ready for, so the learning curve was kind of hardcore on that. Sure. But that's my fault. There were other weapons. There was like a big hammer and a big sword that you should pick Straight to just go out and pound on mm-hmm. shit to learn it. And so I'm probably going to go back and start or not even start, but like go back and get a different weapon that's a little easier. So I've had some difficulty following the combat camera. Okay. Because as you flip up in the air, like one stick basically guides your head where your view, and then the other stick guides where you're moving. So you can very easily lose target of what you're fighting. Mm. That's especially when these monsters are fast and they're moving around you. And you're doing these huge things that go completely the wrong way. <laughs> you know? And you look like maybe you're blind <laughs> from a distance and you're attacking nothing. So, but again, that is my fault. The world is beautiful. I like that it doesn't take itself too seriously. It reminds me of like old Capcom games I played when I was growing up. And it is now the highest selling Capcom game of all time. It looks gorgeous. I see all it's those beautiful. Screen, screenshots too, man. It's it looks, absolutely beautiful. Looks rad. And the monster designs People- are so cool. They're people so freaking are, cool. 
People are bonkers for this game, and I have absolutely no interest in it. I have interest in it, but I just, you know, me, man, I don't buy a game until it's, like, cheap. If so. you started yeah. playing this, Joe, you would love it. You absolutely I would. I don't know. Like, I just... I, I'm not into like the min the 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 micromanaging of stats and the and the having to wrangle all the buffs and stuff like that's well, not what there I isn't like. Isn't that in much games. of that? That like The Witcher was way more heavy on that. The Witcher is like you can spend 45 minutes to an hour in your pause screen comparing shit. Yeah, this sure, game's sure. not as heavy on that at all. At like certain weapons do certain kinds of damage. Certain armor works better when it's all put together in one set. But it's pretty straightforward. Like, you know, okay, I want to have bone armor. So it's in my best interest to grab those bones, take it to this guy, and have him build bone armor. Go. Bye. To bone as much as Boner I can. Boner armor. Yeah, you want to bone as many of these creatures as you can. And, you know, like, this has piercing damage. This, you know, uh, if I eat this, I get a stamina boost or whatever. But you're not, like, going through and comparing gems and moving armor sets <laughs> and, you know, deciding on your magic. You know, it, it's not that heavy. Now, right. you can get into that if you really want to, but you don't have to. I, the Maybe Witcher I'll get, got get a, a little too much after a while. But yeah, I would say absolutely give it a try. Monster Hunter World, huge buy it for me. All right. Well, the, consider our thumbsticks sufficiently twiddled. Yeah, that twiddled. Was, that, twiddled. that's it for diddling our thumbsticks, huh? <laughs> what about Vermintide? Should we talk about Vermintide, playing Vermintide? We have been playing bit? Vermintide as a group, yes. Uh, myself, Willie Toots, and our friend John Luttrell from the former Burnt Wieners podcast have been killing v- rats in the Warhammer fantasy world. They're called Skaven. <laughs> Vermintide is pretty much a complete Left for Dead yeah, yeah, with the with the Warhammer skin on top of it. Yeah, instead of zombies, but it's not as you're killing like, rats. It's not as well uh, refined. No, it's, it's not as super refined. buggy. It's, it's super super cl- buggy, super clunky. But but it was we, free. We, we had some fun with it. Yeah, it was free. Yeah, they gave it away for free. So whatever. If you're looking for a free game to play with some buddies, you can't go wrong with Vermintide. That's right, and man. Let's face it. That fucking fifty on fifty bullshit, whatever it's called. Uh, Overwatch? Uh, uh, no, not Overwatch. The free one they gave away. Uh, Paladins? No, the big one that everybody's playing. Where it's Fortnite? Like, uh, Fortnite. Fortnite. Fortnite is way too hard. Everybody is way too good at it. It sucks. <laughs> like, you, oh, wait, you had to are jump you on. About, are you talking about Fortnite or or PUBG? I'm the one about, that's like more realistic. No, I'm not even getting into PUBG. PUBG's not even fun. Forget that. Fort- it's the, but it's the same sort of battle royale. Yes, as Fortnite. where there's like 99, and everybody like you fight to the death, and the screen, yeah. ke- the you know the screen keeps getting small. The map gets smaller. So Fortnite you can't hide is from exactly each other. the same, except it's got a building mechanic, and it's a little yeah. like more cartoony. Hmm. Yeah, and it's not fun because everybody's way too good at it. So Vermintide, way easier. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, and free as well. It was free. It's not anymore, but it was. So let us know what you guys are playing. We'd love to hear from you on this segment. And if you want to call in and talk to us about it, you can, 402-819-4894. Or you can get on THN forums where we have a little twiddling my thumbsticks forum section where we talk about video games. What are you guys playing? What are you enjoying? What should we be playing? Do you want to hook up and play with us? You can do that. Game night. Whoa. Game night. Game nights. Let's do it. Excelsior. Oh, that is it for THN 482. But before we get out of here, Joe Patrick, please reset our new question of the week. This week's question comes once again from Harvey Locust via the THN forums. We've all been collectors of something at some point in our lives, whether it was comics, toys, laser discs, books, etc. We've all tasted that rush from the hunt as collectors. It was half the fun, but we all know that we sometimes make big mistakes in the heat of the moment. What was that one item that you were dying to get your hands on for your collection so much that you overpaid or you made bad trades for it? I love this one. It's so gonna a be, collecting question. It's going to be embarrassing, and it's going to harken back to your dumb decisions you made as a kid. <laughs> I have a story to tell about our friend Joel Ballard oh. from back when we worked together. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Yeah. THN is a listener-supported podcast. We want to thank everyone that shells out their hard-earned cash that they could be spending at their local comic shop by supporting this show on PayPal and Patreon. Without you nerds, we would not be able to afford the complete set of William Shatner's Tech War pogs that Joe just had to have. It's going to make a (laughs) comeback any day now. Pogs are back. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to writer-artist William Mesner Loeb. This is such a horrible story. It is. 
He had legendary runs on books like The Flash, Wonder Woman, and Thor in the 80s and 90s. This past week, news got out that Bill and his wife have been living homeless as Bill has been picking up shifts at Panera Bread and janitorial work at local churches. He also lost an arm. Well, yeah, I mean, he's had health concerns, but I don't think that is recent. I know. I just didn't know he had one arm as well. It's like a gypsy curse hit this guy. (laughs) Thankfully, things are starting to look up. Bill and his wife were approved for a housing choice voucher, and they're looking for a place to live. But still, I mean, the guy has been down on his luck. It's a tragic story. Word to you, Bill. Thanks for everything. And if you guys are willing and able to offer some assistance to Bill and his wife... You can email Fox2, that's the number, fox2newsdesk at foxtv.com. They're the ones that did the story about him. We'll post that and a link to the Hero Initiative in our show notes because, goddammit, the creators that helped shape our industry deserve better than living in their cars. Yeah, they should not be left behind. This is horrible. And it also goes to show that not everything that Fox does is evil. So there you go. Well, that's a local Fox affiliate. (laughs) Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just use his slammer to steal all your Marvel Legends Wolverine's pogs. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Those were real pogs, by the way. Marvel Legends Wolverine. Yeah, it was all like different painted covers that they just like took his face off and put on a fucking pog or some stupid shit. (laughs) (laughs) Lame. Dude.